Hello there, everyone. Welcome to episode 97, I think, of Tap Calf Transmissions, the only Star Wars podcast currently thinking about what our vision of the future is going to be. But mm. I am your host, Corey. And shaking it up, we have special guest Eckhart's Ladder here as the second host. How are mm -hmm. you doing, Justin? I'm good. I'm good. I figured I'd take some time out of my busy day to to uh, guest on the only Star Wars podcast. All right. You have so. no other options. Yeah. So yeah, no other options. This or nothing. Mm -hmm. People keep trying to tell me to hit the podcast circuit, and I'm like, it's not really a circuit if there's only there's only one. Yeah, close circuit. It's like a podcast point. <laughs> well, how are you doing this this fine week? Uh, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing well. Um, no, no big complaints. Not a whole lot of news compared to last week. We did get a new Old Republic trailer. That was pretty cool, but yeah, that was otherwise, epic. yeah, not a whole lot. How about yourself? Uh, I've been very busy because I had to fit in about 3 trillion pages with other stuff I had to get mm. done, getting ready for the Fall of the Republic release coming next week. The only Star Wars content about to be released. Uh, suffering from any Book of Boba Fett's withdrawal, or have you been managing? I mean, I had 26 hours of audiobook to listen to, so yeah, I've been pretty busy as well. Too busy uh, with the nice voice of Mark Thompson in my ears to uh, to really think about Book of Boba Fett. But yeah, I, I definitely missed it. Well, it'll only be a few months until we have Kenobi, and mm -hmm. uh, question mark amount of time until we have Bad Batch, uh, because they haven't seen fit to let us know what decade They've said to expect spring, that in. so it could be coming before Kenobi. It could be coming after. I think my guess is they're going to do a split season with half or like how, how many? What was season one? Like was it eighteen episodes? Twelve episodes? I think it was only like twelve, ten or twelve. Yeah. So let me let me see. Bad Batch season one. My guess is that they're going to do half the episodes before Kenobi, and then uh, there were oh there were sixteen episodes. Oh, it was pretty good okay. considering the uh, the first one was like an was like what an hour and a hour half. Hour and a half, yeah, yeah. So I think they'll do eight before and eight after Kenobi. Okay, um, so a nice Kenobi that would be my guess. That, I, I yes. can see that. Mm -hmm. All right, you've heard it here fo first, folks. We are confirming, based on our speculation, that we are going to get eight episodes of the Bad Batch before. Kenobi. Mm -hmm. And if we're wrong, yeah. then who cares? Yeah. Find something better to care about. Yeah. Listen to another Star Wars podcast. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can't. <laughs> you can't. There's only one. Alright. Well, any other any other news that did come out? I guess there's uh on top of the trailer we got the announcement of the Han and Leia book covering mm. their marriage uh, or their wedding. Uh, on the Galactic on, Star Cruiser. Well, their their wedding isn't on the Galactic Star Cruiser. No, their it's honeymoon on, is. Their, yeah. The honeymoon is. So let's yeah. try to get our facts straight first off. But you did a video yeah. uh, covering your own displeasure with this uh, with this choice. I, yeah, and honestly, I felt a lot of this displeasure already from Galaxy's Edge with Batu. Um, yeah. and, and like, I'm okay with there being tie and stuff obviously star wars is always a tie and stuff but all the bad two stuff for me felt like pretty transparent yeah. marketing for the park and it, i felt like the content was worse off and everyone is saying correctly listen you haven't read the book yet it could be amazing and yes it could but i don't get good feelings when the first paragraph is talking about um how it's you know a park tie-in basically yeah and at least part of it is also that like Galaxy's Edge, I've never been there. I'll probably never go there, but at least it's somewhat reasonably accessible for people. This is a yeah, tie-in for something that like no one can afford and was mm -hmm. already kind of disliked or very disliked or not well received yeah. beforehand where uh, from what I've heard, the Galaxy's Edge book tie-ins were at least somewhat okay. And I'm not saying the... Mm -hmm. The new book can't be good. Just that it's starting from such a disadvantage of being so heavily tied into this thing that is already coming with a lot of baggage. Yeah, and like, I'm sorry, I just I just don't know if it makes sense for uh, the story. To... Han and Leia, you know, after Endor, or they're going on a cruise. I mean, but yeah, it, it's the... If you want to take a family of four on a weekend trip to Gal uh, the Galactic Star Cruiser, it's 6000 American dollars. 
Yeah. Like, for two nights. The Pirates of the Caribbean started, like, it, it went downhill, but it started off as a movie that most people, I think, have a positive impression of, and it's mm. a tie-in based off of a ride. It's not that these things can't be good, but yeah, there's nothing true. in the movie that makes you think, this is telling me to go to Disneyland. It's right. just the jumping off point for it, whereas in it fact, seems like that might not be quite as much the case here. Yeah, most people who, like most kids who grew up with Pirates of the Caribbean being movies would probably assume that the ride, which is really cool, by the way, uh, it's not really a ride, it's like an experience, is, yeah. based off of, uh, is based off of the movie, not the other way around. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, Galaxy's Edge is cool, and I mean, you're right, it is accessible. If you go to Disney, you get to go to Galaxy's Edge. It's not, you don't pay extra for it, it's not like uh, some gated off thing, it's just, you know, part of the park. So, yeah. yeah, it's just, so, I don't know. It feels like they've, they've kind of hit some missteps with this, I guess. Yeah. Like I, as annoyed as I get with people who will automatically shit on anything that comes out of Disney, just because it comes out of Disney. Like I have no love for Disney as a corporation. I think it sucks, but that doesn't mean that anything that comes out of it is going to be mm-hmm. shit. Like it just so happens that the company that has all the money in the world and has bought up every media outlet is going to be the one that is paying the people to make the things that you probably enjoy mm-hmm. anyways. But there's also been this reflexive backlash the other way where like anyone who says this tie-in is kind of uncomfortable for them or isn't something they're into is like, well, what yeah. do you expect Star Wars? That's like, can we can we at least try to have some sort of reasonable middle ground here? Uh, and I hate doing the both sides thing, but mm-hmm. this is a situation where it's like, can we not criticize the mega corporation without it always having to be yeah. just automatically I, shitting I, I on get them? a lot of that because I'm pretty vocal about certain aspects of like and i get lumped in with you know the hating everything star wars which i i don't um hate everything star wars at all like people were saying that i'm i'm a huge hater of the book of boba fett now and like that couldn't be further (laughs) from the truth like i i was way more defensive of that show than anyone else but or than not anyone else than most people rather um but yeah like i i agree there's there's Criti- like criticism when warranted shouldn't be written off as you know toxic fandom or whatever especially yeah. when listen i'm not i'm not going to i'm not calling the author a slime ball or anything i'm saying i don't necessarily like how this multi-billion dollar corporation is conducting itself yeah like they seem to be very excited to be writing a star wars book and i don't think it's inherently going to mm-hmm. be a bad book it has every opportunity to be good like anything else but it's starting with this uh with a premise that does give it some extra lifting to do to get out of being perceived as only existing to be a tie-in and it's kind of tying the author's hands into telling this story a certain way that yeah doesn't like we'll have to see what it ends up like how much ends up feeling forced or not like again mm-hmm. it could turn out being a really good book but maybe uh, the book is so good they made the ride after it yeah there you go <laughs> I'm joking. But, yeah. um but yeah I, I think another thing that is kind of unfortunate is that for one it's announced literally a month after dave wolverton's death yeah um and there's also the fact that like the course of princess leia is a really well it's like if if there's anything you can say about that book it has issues as we talked about when we covered it but it's very like genuine it's got a lot of heart it doesn't feel like corporate it's like a silly fantasy adventure with night witches and rancors oh, did you and, did you never visit the dathomir park experience on <laughs> Disney World? yeah i got where you get beat up by a woman wearing a what do they call it again the uh what's what's the thing that the tarzan list. wears the loincloth yeah. yeah yeah that was my favorite part of that I, I went on that a million times as a kid but uh but yeah if anyone it's asks just, you if you want to ride their rancor just say no yeah just say no <laughs> Yeah, especially if it's especially if it's just some random dude in the bathroom. It's you know, but with that being said, is there, I, I also did want to mention too. Um, apparently, there's been some news from Variety, so not not I your. You're gonna uh, say Verizon. <laughs> I don't know maybe. why. I was like, oh, we're talking about the Verizon news. I was sure of it, but no. Variety says John Williams will be scoring Kenobi, or at least doing the mm. theme for it. So that's the man's ninety. Like, yeah. I really thought we wouldn't be getting any more uh, John Williams Star Wars, and I'm really excited to get more. So mm-hmm. it's great. Yep. Yeah. yeah but, so 
it'll probably be very different from what we've got with other shows recently where uh that's gonna do a different but still pretty star warsy style so it'll it'll be nice to get the maybe more of an original feel to some of it too yeah i will say too um the uh, it feels like as somebody who i'm pretty into like the star wars leaks like i'm not a person who minds being spoiled at all um for well that depends if something's out i like i like to see it without being spoiled but like i enjoy the process going like of when something's coming out and i will say compared to the book of boba fett and the mandalorian it feels like there's a lot of details about the kenobi show coming out like kind of some some fairly major plot points so if you're someone who's averse to those things just be very careful um and you can you can kind of tell like certain Star Wars productions are leak proof. Like the Last Jedi had nothing, yeah. um, whereas like the Rise of Skywalker was leaked six months in advance, pretty much the entire script. Yeah. Um, Ironically, though, Last Jedi was the only one I got spoiled on because I saw it after release by mm. and got spoiled by people on Steam putting, uh, what was it? There uh, was a sentence that someone on 4chan made that just like yeah. Like Luke Skywalker dies, and uh, Kylo, some, Ren yeah, kills, Kylo kills Snoke, like, becomes supreme. Not leader. to spoil this yeah. for anyone else, but uh, but someone logged in on Steam. It was like doing the thing where they'd spam go offline online so everyone on their friends list would see their name. And I was like, "What the fuck, dude?" Yeah, like like you used to do on MSN back in the day if your crush was online and you wanted her <laughs> to talk to you. There's like there's a lot of our listeners are just going to be completely like what the fuck's MSN? <laughs> MSN was the <laughs> MSN was the best. There I uh, nothing better than coming home after a long day of school, turning on MSN and just it's just like a like an online party. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. You had your your name, your statuses, people could put whatever edgy shit they yeah. wanted under their display name. Sometimes she won't know what she's got until it's gone. And then there'd be like she paid uh, paradise to put up a parking lot. Yeah. There'd be like X's of different like capitalization. There'd be like tildes or whatever those are called. Just like I'd like I, I would see like like people who could do that. I was like, how do they have this much how do they just know how to make these cool status designs? And then I remember if you got like M- MSN Plus, you could like have your song like your music sh- yeah. auto show up. That was so sick. And like you'd always know who's in a relationship because it's like Everyone would change their thing to ILU. Loves Jessica. And then... Loves Jordan. Well, you know it's really serious if they do ILUSM, so... Yeah, especially if it's all lowercase. Yeah. Yeah. A little yeah. heart. But anyways, yeah. this mm. week, we are talking about when Luke and Mara set their relationship I was going to say, this MSM. is appropriate because Luke and Mara's relationship development is very much like this. Luke, yes. this is... For all those, for the Luke's not an incel group, this book's a major L for you. Yes. Even though he does end up married to Mara Jade, he mm-hmm. he does some questionable things, we'll yeah. say, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's we'll just get, get that out of the way first. So, because I, I I think we both want to talk about this. There's a scene where Mara sustains a blaster wound, and Luke puts her in a Jedi trance, and then he leans over. What does he do? Does he stroke her forehead? A little weird, but you know, acceptable. Does he touch her hand? Does he? He gives her a kiss. And I know you're thinking, oh, he probably, you know, gives her a little kiss on the cheek or maybe the forehead. Something like kind of at least somewhat platonic. Still a little weird, but no, he kisses her straight on the lips. Yeah. She's asleep. You don't put her to sleep. Don't do that. And then he's got his hand across her chest and it's just like, buddy, (laughs) I just imagine like later (laughs) uh, where I just like imagine like for the next like 30 years or I guess they're not married for that long um but while they're married luke's just like hoping she doesn't find out and like every time like mara makes some like oblique reference to their first kiss he's just like starts sweating he's like yeah <laughs> like <laughs> she's like i really loved our first kiss the one on near one he's like yeah the one on near one he's like and he's like does she know like what do i say which which one i mean um yeah that was great yeah you were awake for yeah 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 you were awake i just making sure and then, of course, right after establishing the relationship, uh, he does propose. She says yes, but it's an immediate proposal right after they start dating. Of course, this is a whole force-powered relationship where they've now uh, been inside each other's heads and 
Shut the fuck up, Justin. And, and so they that that moves you along a few minutes. It's like how uh, how relationship duration in COVID was worth about three times as much. Like if you start living with mm-hmm. someone in COVID for a year, that's worth actually mm-hmm. three years. Uh, if you're yep. a Jedi, apparently you get an additional five years to your relationship right off the top. And that's why we are actually getting a Luke and Mara wedding, which we're going to be covering with the Union comic next week. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little spoiler alert there. Um, yeah, so the relationship the relationship is definitely sudden. One thing that I had a bit of issue with, though, is like Luke's big hang up is that like she may have dated Lando yeah. for a bit. Like, so what? Yeah, Lando's hot. <laughs> like. <laughs> I feel like it does reinforce a lot of, uh, a lot of, I I guess, especially like teenage boys ideas of like, they can't Mm -hmm. have dated anyone before me. Yeah. She's got to be like the, the virgin, like unsullied. Like it's, she's a woman, like she's what, 40 at this point, late thirties. Like, yeah. If it had turned into like, oh, I thought like you were still had something with Lando and that's why I'm. Yeah. standoffish then she's like oh well maybe a bit for a while ago because we had all this time hunting card but or hunting card ass but mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah she's 36 at this point like luke like i hate to tell you buddy but she's probably at least kissed a fella before <laughs> well what if her first kiss ever was when she was in a jedi healing trance that she just doesn't ever find out about it's not okay yeah no it's not consent, great people yeah consent for sure um and it's just I, I really like this book but there were a few times where like i definitely felt like timothy zahn was going out of his way to explicitly rebuke everything that happened yeah. to his characters that he didn't like like not only okay so for those who don't know it's in the jedi academy trilogy i believe yeah um where or no is it it's Corellian it's not, trilogy it's, no well, it's no. Cali- it's callista it's when they're on the uh isn't it before they go on the Eye of Palpatine, where he calls her when, and she's with Lando? Anyway, is it, it's one is of it that the the scene they talk about, right, where Han mm-hmm. calls her and she's like, she's wearing up Lando's sweater, and now Timothy's she's wearing on, his shirt. Yeah, yeah, Timothy Zahn sets up this whole fucking elaborate backstory. And then about also, she, yeah, he sets up well because he basically sets up on like the idea that Lando and Mara were traveling undercover and posing as a couple. Like, okay, fair enough. And then he explicitly has to also debunk that exact moment. Yeah. Like, we gave <laughs> we gave Zahn credit in the last one. Where we were like, oh, well, you really expect going into his own book. Like, he's not going to really bother with other people's shit. But now mm-hmm. what we learn is, like, no, he was only doing that so he could say none of that was a thing. Because he does that a yeah. lot. That's just the biggest and example. <laughs> did you also feel like he was taking a little bit of a shot at some of the other writers, how they wrote her as well? Where yeah. she's like, yeah, like I was, I was just a, I had to pretend to be this ditz for a while to everybody. Yeah, I was like, I was like, okay, like I didn't think she was written that poorly compared to how she usually is. <laughs> yeah, I think there was anyone who who isn't Michael Stackpole or Aaron Austin kind of gets a, a bit of a shaft here from from Zen. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the Black Fleet Crisis gets a bit of. Uh, like it gets a bit of references but no shots against it because what are you what are you really going to say about the black fleet crisis i don't know that it is no shots against it because the top of the line warships get to get introduced really only get references being used in planetary defense forces by the diamala mm-hmm. which i don't know if he's if that's a slight i don't know um are I, we making up know. our own version of the bullshit about like the civil war at lucasfilm Maybe uh, no, I this I think there's we're definitely seeing some jostling back and forth. Um, yeah, where like, and you can tell too that I feel like Timothy's on another thing that he was probably unhappy with, and I think rightfully so was the degree to which a lot of like let's be honest, most of the characters that were well, a lot of the characters that were really well loved in Star Wars Legends came from either Michael Stackpole or Timothy Zahn. Um, so like Talonkar does largely get ignored. Uh, like he, he does feature sometimes. It's, it's even the same with Mara. Yeah. And, um, 
in this he's like he reins them all back and he's like there's a reason why these characters are so popular like now guess what talon card's the head of the intelligence agency good luck fucking around with him now um well there's kind of a there's two sides to that where on the one hand it's like yeah he does put them in these prominent positions and sometimes they get ignored mm -hmm. but he also doesn't seem to want people to do anything with them either i i think his main his main problem might be that and like this is another thing he, he kind of critiques the overall like trip plot of like how luke's been handled yeah um throughout star wars legends and like kind of to a to a greater extent really a lot of the stories that have been told well where... michael stackpole has the exact same scene too not exact but like where corin does what mare is doing mm -hmm. where it's basically used to say uh the way that luke has been handled so far has not been great mm-hmm Right. Is that you mean an I Jedi? That's in yeah, an I Jedi when Corin's leaving, and they reference it here, mm -hmm. where like Mara says, "Oh, I thought you'd be okay because Corin's still there." And yeah, like, uh, no, I Jedi he, gets he lots of him. references actually. Yeah, because they talk about like some specifics. Anyway, um, but yeah, so he's basically saying like Luke has has been getting involved in just handling every little conflict and like not progressing when like <laughs> that's. That's really, I think, not something that a lot of the other writers are necessarily clued in on. And I guess that's kind of what happens when you have this sort of expanded universe being cobbled together by these individual writers who have their own little action stories they want to tell. Yeah. I think the so. idea, especially early on, that a lot of it was supposed to be more interconnected, that was still developing. It's like so mm -hmm. many of these books were written within a few months of each other. So many of the books that are being referenced that, like, coordination would have been next to impossible. And it wasn't really until the late 90s where even in bantam there was some more idea of that and some examination of what had come before and especially when you get to njo with delray where they actually got everyone into a room and planned out a 19 book arc for mm -hmm. the volume. yeah and uh, i don't know yeah it would have been nice Part of me loves the band. Like this book makes me kind of sad because it is the end of like the Bantam era, which is kind of my favorite. Even though it feels like a lot of the time I'm complaining about individual books, it does end up kind of being my favorite, or at least an era that I really like for its own reason. So it is kind of sad that this definitely feels like a send off uh, in a way because it, it is a send off because this is we get Delray after this point. But um, yeah, there's like trade offs that you get there where like this more self contained stories that are. Uh, done the way the Bantam era tended to do them, you have well the stories can be more self-contained, and especially if you're into uh, some of the smaller scale stories, then you're going to get more of that than when you get into Delray, mm -hmm. where there's kind of three galaxy-threatening stories yeah. in a row. Plus, you have like the Millennium Falcon story, Crucible, uh, Riptide, and Crosscurrent, but it's it's largely just everything's going to shit, and we're going to kill off everyone. Yeah, I think what I like about the Bantam era is that it's a lot... They say this about um, about hockey. When you talk about why jun junior hockey, like before kids make it in the NHL, is so fun. It's because it's so like unrefined. Yeah. And like you see a lot of just raw creativity in how they play. And it's sort of like that with like the early Star Wars books too. Where like I love them as a kid, the, the Bantam books, because I knew that you could pick these books up and like any number of wild and crazy things could happen. Yeah. And that was kind of exciting. Like you pick up a book and you know, Luke's on an asteroid. That's actually a big space station or you pick up another book and like, we're learning about Luke students. It just felt kind of like there was unlimited possibilities. And obviously, you know, there's some negative to that because a lot of it ends up being corny or schlocky or whatever. But in, in some respects, that is kind of what I liked, but you know, on the other hand, it's it is really nice to get the super concise books like the Thrawn duology or the Thrawn trilogy, or like we get with you know not concise but well connected books like the Legacy of the Four series or the NJO or whatever else. Yeah, and there has been some uh, among the listeners some lamenting of the fact that we are at the end of the Bantam era here, but there are some sh some books we we skipped over that we can. Go back New to New Rebellion. Yeah. Uh, 
And so while we are moving into Delray territory chronologically, uh, there's still going to be some comparisons that we're able to get to with that. Still lots of comics and stuff from that era as well, like the X-Wing comics, for example. So, And Survivor's Quest is kind of a, a Bantam era style thing because it's mm. still on around the same time. Because that came out mm. in 2000. I was checking this because I was a, a bit concerned about whether we were doing outbound flight and survivor's quest in the wrong order but survivor's mm-hmm. quest did come out before outbound flight so kind of going back and yeah it's outbound flight like the it a lot of its outbound flight is like some reveals from what i remember that are kind of yeah. hinted at in survivor's quest yeah it was um, kind of like much like survivor's quest itself it was kind of setting up these things that then got turned into mm-hmm. their own story because i think like outbound flight starts as just a mention then it gets turned into survivor's quest of finding it then you get the actual book about it Mm-hmm. all right let's talk plot do you want to give a basic uh, rundown of where we are right now what's going on <laughs> uh so as we start off in vision of the future thrawn is reportedly back mara has crashed on nero on uh han has han left for no han i was just trying to think that passion. no i think they were going to pack in this book, weren't they oh oh no yeah you're right because the end of the book kind of the end of last book, I think, is them kind of getting ready to take a vacation, maybe. Yeah. But yeah. it's hard to remember exactly where stuff leaves off because I These did start this really... right after we ended the last yeah, podcast. Because it too. is a 700 page book. Uh, but broadly, Thrawn is reportedly back because of the Triumvirate's plan within the Empire being Moff Dizra, who's one of the leading Moffs, uh, Groden Tierce who is a stormtrooper major, former Royal Guard, actually a clone, and the con artist Flim, who is posing as Thrawn. So the Empire is trying to incite uh, more distrust in the New Republic, get other systems to join them, and kind of play off of the Kamas crisis taking place in the New Republic, where mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out which Bothans were responsible for taking down a planetary shield. So the half the New Republic is saying, if we don't know, punish all the Bothans. The other half is saying, we don't know, please don't just kill all the Bothans. Half the other, yeah. And it's tough because Bothans aren't likable. <laughs> they cover and that a lot. <laughs> realistically, they, they've they done nothing to help their case because they covered it up. Yeah. Um, they... Uh, I've also been lying about their finances just generally like Bothans aren't good creatures like they're and they just their reputation is all always precedes them because it's like yeah they're Bothans they're backstabbing dicks even among their own species and then when you get Bothans interacting with everyone else it's just like they're power hungry maniacs so it's like the fact that it's the Bothans like if it was the Mon Calamari things would maybe be a little bit different but yeah there's basically uh, five different subplots in the book, which largely are about getting a copy of the Kamas crisis do- or the Kamas document, which would list all the Bothans responsible. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have Luke and Mara, who don't know that's what they're doing, uh, but Mara's crashed on Nero One after they chased these weird fighters to the planet. Uh, Luke has gone to save her rather than save the New Republic. Uh, Han and Leia are trying to vacation on Patrick, but then she gets uh, pulled away by uh, the chance to go for one of them to go to Bastion and slice out a copy, which Han and Lando do. Then Leia heads to Bothawai. Uh, mm-hmm. Pelion is trying to get to the middle or get to the bottom of all the shenanigans in the Empire. He's waiting for Garbaliblis, wanting to make a, uh, a peace treaty. So that's his kind of deal. And... It's hard to, to summarize all the characters' plots because it is a 700-page book with a lot of uh, a lot of different threads going on. But at the root mm-hmm. of it is basically a bunch of people imagining their own problems and having to deal with that rather than it being actually something external causing the mm-hmm. issue that they're going through. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah, so one thing that I kind of liked about this book was the the triumvirate is, is pretty interesting we get Flim, who is, like, far more capable than anyone gives him any credit for, um, who's pretending to be Thrawn. We've got yeah. Deesra, who's just, like, absolutely miserable to be around. Um, she's just awful. Just, like, cranky, like, self-centered, uh, just just always bitchy. It's just awful. And then we've got... Um, then we've got Tears, who is just, like, also very competent. But I, I, I found myself enjoying that uh, kind of how they played off each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, Flim is, like, 
like they're actually making moves like yeah obviously everything's a deception but you know it, it kind of points out that even when there's someone's trying to emulate thrawn like they end up learning a lot by doing things that thrawn did like analyzing um combat patterns analyzing their enemies what they would do um and i thought that was interesting well, ultimately, what Thrawn's strength was in the initial book, and then gets kind of blown out of proportion as you go further in into like the, the legend of Thrawn in the galaxy, is that mm-hmm. just him doing these minor things would make everyone second guess themselves and their allies. And ultimately, what uh, what kind of undoes the triumvirate is that they stop even trusting each other, and they're two in it for themselves. Yeah. So, like the one thing. Uh, despite how everyone sees Thrawn as this infallible figure, and that's the problem with him being back that the New Republic sees, is like, oh God, what do we do yeah. now? Yeah. There is one element that actual Thrawn does play in the book, where like mm-hmm. the kind of one prediction Thrawn made, or the one promise Thrawn made, was to the Empire of the Hand, saying, in 10 years, if you've ever heard that I'm dead, wait 10 years, and then I'll come back. And that turns out to be wrong, and all these protections he set up for the clone turn out to not be sufficient, yeah. Uh, so even him as this infallible figure makes that mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, the the Empire of the Hand stuff was interesting. It it just it's a bit frustrating to read it because you can tell that um, Timothy Zahn is kind of jostling with the fact that he wants to set things up, but what's coming is only sort of known to to an extent like they knew there was some sort of invasion storyline coming yeah but they couldn't go into specifics because they didn't know yet i don't think um and that ends up being a little bit frustrating because a lot of the conflict that mara like sort of the conflict at the end that in the mara and luke storyline is because mara eventually or essentially rejects the empire of the hands request for her to join them and they start off wanting to basically put her in a healing trance so they can kind of keep her captive. And it just kind of escalates from there when it's just, that doesn't really make sense. I don't think because they haven't, for one, they kind of, the empire, the hand sort of explains that Theron may not join the empire if he comes back. But more than that, like the empire of the hand has real things they're worried about and it just i just don't think it makes sense for them to be shooting each other up like for one i think it would have been more realistic for the empire of the hand just to let luke and mara leave because yeah if they know there's these big threats out there and in hindsight obviously they're talking about the yuzhan vong if you look at kind of the lore but also there's just lots of nasty stuff out there you don't want your jedi master and his in his cutie pie gf to be killed yeah, like it, it ultimately hinges on Luke and Mara wanting to stop them from contacting Bastion. But like Luke and Mara also have to know, like, sure, you you clogged up their hangar for six hours. You're One not taking of down. Yeah, you're not taking down this interstellar empire that you've now learned exactly. about by taking out these three. Even if you did manage to kill them, which you're not trying to do, like mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense for either of them to kind of try to stop each other there. Yeah, exactly. Like. And Mara flies her hangar into the uh, the Empire of the Hands facility, which was mo- more, I guess, to stop them from being chased when they left the planet. But, like, you're never going to be able to stop them from contacting Bastion because they've got thousands of worlds. Like, yeah. All they need to new- do is send a, a message to one of their other uh, colonies or even a, another thing on Neroon because they probably have another base somewhere. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's like, hey, uh, we're a little tied up here. Can you go and... They just text Thrawn, you up, question mark? One of the things that did bother me... So I always remembered the Luke and Mara subplot to be kind of a slog, but I liked Mm -hmm. it a lot more this time. It actually might be my favorite subplot, weird Luke behavior aside. uh, Mm Because I think the first time I read it, I didn't really have the context of Luke's behavior in prior books to Mm -hmm. kind of understand why it might be interesting to examine it in that way. Uh, And that's what most of it is, Luke and Mara's behavior. But... Mm -hmm. Uh, my my biggest problem, I think, with it is they're getting all this help from the Kamke and Kamja, or however mm-hmm. you pronounce them. And, so the audiobook calls them. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh, are you going to help us with the Threateners? It's like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll try. Yeah, then, then they afterwards, just don't at all. Yeah, they never try to do anything. There's no way they're getting the fortress off the world. And yeah. at the end, they're just like, uh, 
sucks to suck, I guess, to Child of Winds. And at the end, like right at the end when they're leaving, the Kamja are... They're just like, uh, go. They're like, just go. He's like, we will help you get to your ship if you go the fuck away. And Luke is like, yes, well, Child of Winds has earned a name. (laughs) Friend of Jedi. Like, why would you want to brand this kid with this name of like friend of those dicks who didn't help us that time and got three of us killed? Mm-hmm. yeah seriously it, yeah I, I, I didn't think I didn't think it was that bad of a section either the one thing that was annoying to me is I was listening to the audiobook and I will say Mark Thompson is amazing um, he does Han Han C-3PO and Thrawn especially he does so well I would have been legitimately happy if he had done Thrawn and Rebels he's that good but uh, I actually would have preferred if he had done Thrawn and Rebels and Thrawn and Rebels is great but um uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, when, when he does the... There's a few times where he takes it too far. And it's probably not his fault, but when the Quam Jaw, he, uh, he does it... He, he, like, he, he makes it sound like an avian, and he throws in, like, Wah! like, every every few words, like, like, Luke, friend, Jedi, Wah! and it's just, like, it takes forever for him to get through any sentence. Probably why the friggin' audiobook's 26 hours long. Um, another one that was uh, kind of annoying is... In the original Thrawn trilogy, remember that Wookiee who speaks basic? The yeah, the one with the speech impediment, so he can like yeah. be understood. So he speaks. He basically speaks like this. Like it's like Luke Skywalker. It's like the whole time. So it's like any time there's going to be a prolonged section with with one of those people talking, it's just like awful. On the other hand, when you get somebody like um, Gaverson. He throws in these little like whinnies and bird. It's he's like a cross between like a horse and a dove. So he'll be like, <laughs> be like, call Admiral Akbar. <laughs> it's just like it's hilarious. The um, squawking Kamja uh, is kind of weird because like I always pictured them, and I think the the image. Yeah. Well, other than telepathically, I always thought of them more as like winged lizards. Yeah, I didn't. I was a little surprised when I looked at the image because I definitely picture them more like i don't know in my mind i had them kind of like maybe a raptor but like not a full lizard like maybe a they were a bit more bat light like a mix between a bat and a lizard to me mentally Mm -hmm. because they're like the cave dwellers then you have the air dwellers so i kind of pictured the the outdoors ones more as a uh more as a a flying lizard and the cave dwelling ones more as a bat but Mm -hmm. yeah i kind of pictured them as like uh uh, what are they called? Like a vulture, I guess. But yeah, yeah. This time reading through, I don't know if you know what a flygon is. Yeah, the Pokemon. Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually picturing them as that, and I just realized that for this reading that's, through. But... Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad. But uh, but yeah. So anything else you want to talk about with Luke and Mara? Because they are kind of a a self contained story until the end, and we've talked a lot about their portrayal and. Mm-hmm. They Luke ends up thinking, or R two ends up thinking of downloading the the information, and they get the yeah, only R2 real once copy again. of the Kamas yeah. document. Not that it ends up yeah. being. Yeah, I will say it, it. Just kind of reiterating a point that it's frustrating when they're talking about this great threat that's so great that it's go- that there's plans to for when Coruscant has been toppled, and Mara doesn't ask what it is. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like, there's a threat out there that Thrawn wasn't sure, even with him in command of the New Republican Empire's joint forces, we may not be able to defeat. And like, if I were like Mar, I'd be like, okay, can you give me the like the basics at least? <laughs> wow, and, that's crazy. But then you're not giving this to Bastion, are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like when I'm th- when I see Thrawn in the in the tank, knowing what she knows now, I like. I would have liked for them to kind of go into that issue a bit more of like, okay, maybe it's a good thing that Thrawn could still be alive because we might need him. Um, yeah, they do decide not to kill him until it becomes absolutely necessary, which is kind of the irony of what Thrawn had set up is mm-hmm. that he accounted for all these ways that people might try to kill his clone. And ultimately the thing that makes his clone die is that he set up all these things to protect it because mm-hmm. yeah. they were about to just turn around and walk out of the room. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I think moving on though, the, there are lots of clones in this book, and yeah. Lando is just straight up hateful towards yeah. them. <laughs> Lando's like clones, 
fuck you guys. Like, <laughs> like you've got no soul. You're awful. Um, and part of that comes from the fact that, and we get this quite a bit in this book, the idea of the Clone Wars was very different. Yeah. Um, where I imagine, like, I'm kind of wondering whether maybe George Lucas gave some kind of insight and just changed his mind later on. Given the fact that kind of a lot of the EU seemed, authors seem to have a similar idea that there was some clone uprising, basically, that took the galaxy at Storm. I do kind of wonder whether maybe George Lucas, that was his idea for a while. And what are there indications it. in, uh, especially in like the scripts and screenplays of that being the case? And even just the way that Obi-Wan talks about some of it does kind of feel that way. And like the timing before the Empire, uh, like how far or how long ago the Clone Wars were going to be. I have. I don't. Imitated. The only thing I, could, I mean, the only thing I really think about where we get any reference to the, to the prequels would be like that prelude to A New Hope. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that talk that just kind of talks about Palpatine's rise more than the Clone Wars itself, though. I'm gonna grab a book here. Because I have the annotated screenplays. So maybe there'll be a note with mm, that's a good yeah but but yeah like there is a very different portrayal of the uh, Clone Wars and a lot of the early Bantam stuff and there was actually something related to that in the card and Cardass story uh, where Cardass is talking about how he found Yoda mm-hmm. on the planet and the timeline on it is very different where like they're talking yeah. about Kim and Doriana and this would have set so Yoda was already stated to be on Dagobah here before Senator Palpatine started getting the power around him rather than him being in exile out there. So it's kind of the idea we've seen in a few yeah. other places of Yoda just always existed out in Dagobah and that Jedi were just these hermit mm-hmm. monks that are around the galaxy doing their own things. Like when Luke is setting up this Jedi Order this way, it's kind of under the assumption that this is how the Jedi have already always operated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 interesting trying to see them piece it together, and that's that's one thing that obviously we haven't had in the new EU, and it removes some of the fun, but obviously it it means that cohesive storylines are a lot easier to tell. Um, but we also just kind of see generally like uh, that. And you mentioned Kin, uh, um, Kinman Doriana. That was one character that I'm kind of disappointed about, just in hindsight, never got more uh, attention in the EU because he's an interesting character. But he's one that, like, doesn't work well in, like, after the prequels come out, you know what I mean? Although, I mean, it's pretty easy to, to pick at one of the, like, to choose one of the people that Palpatine stands next to in one of the movies. Be like, oh, yeah, there's Kinman Doriana right there. Yeah. But. He was one character because, like, I remember he's in. They 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 get him in Plagueis, I believe, which was cool. Um, and obviously he's in Vision of the Future, but beyond that, and the Upbound Flight, yeah. obviously. But beyond that, he doesn't really get a whole lot of attention, which is too yeah. bad because he's an interesting character. Yeah, like had to replace Kim and Doriana with Darth Vader, Grand Admiral Thrawn, and Mara Jade, really overselling what he turns out to be. Yeah, and that was another thing too. I can't remember which book is it where, where Mara discovers she wasn't the only empire or only emperor's hand. Was that in the Throne trilogy? or Was that after? Was that when Luke meets what's her name? Um, ah, fuck. I think it was in, in the Throne Children trilogy. Children of the Jedi. Okay, I could because uh, Thrawn tells her, doesn't he? He's like, you. Oh you, yeah. Oh, you imagined you were the only one. Yeah. Uh, but there, there's a lot on this page that I just read that is pretty fantastic, but I'll just choose one thing here. Okay. You saw through me, Lucas, and Ben replies, you could put it that way, giving a little hint that he has unusual powers. One of Lucas's early concepts had Jedi warriors letting out a shrieking scream each time they attacked. All that survived of this idea is encapsulated in the great howling noise Ben makes to scare the sand people. There you go. And in Palpatine's scream when he uh, jumps and does the the 720 at like Mace Windu and co. Three things on that page that I found kind of hilarious, but hmm. I, need to I gotta pick I gotta pick that, that up. Nothing book. on the Clone Wars though. 
Uh, didn't seem to be. There was like Ben Kenobi wrote a book and that's how Luke knew about him. Ben Kenobi, the commander of the Thousand White Legions or whatever. But mm. it, it, yeah, it was very different. But yeah. Um, <clears throat> there was, uh, shit. There was something else I was going to say about the Mara Jade stuff and the Thrawn stuff. Crap. I've forgotten it. Let's I was just going. thinking of the other, uh, the other Empress hand we meet is, um, in Children of the Jedi. The, uh, remember? Well, I can't yeah, remember her name. That, no, that wasn't Quest. It was the Dasta. The, the, the yeah. mother of what's his name? Yeah. Yeah. But crap. Why can't I remember what I wanted to say? And now I'm upset about this. What else, what else is there that we should move on? Oh, no. The idea that Thrawn. So one of the things that Pellion keeps saying or keeps coming up with these ideas that like, oh, Thrawn would, uh, Thrawn would never waste lives of his, uh, would never be okay with throwing at the lives of his soldiers or, uh, never waste life like that, or that he would never have a problem with, uh, with someone doing the opposite of what he said if they didn't have the information to find out otherwise. But like Thrawn's whole shtick was like not telling people part of his plan. Yeah. And he killed the, the yeah. guy at the weapon station for being bad at his job once. I, I will say though, he doesn't, he puts up with more questioning from Pelion and others than you might expect someone of his rank to like yeah. in the original Thrawn trilogy, Pelion's always like, but sir, <laughs> Like, just you know, shut up and wait, Pelion. That's basically what yeah. he does most of the time. Yeah, and he, like, he does. Yeah, he doesn't throw away lives on assaults, but like the idea that he would uh, be overly valuing of the lives under his command, like, mm, I don't know. Okay, fair enough. I think that's a fair. Um, At least as fair... presented in the Thrawn trilogy, which gets mm-hmm. a little bit whitewashed along with the Empire by Zan a lot of the time. I think the Empire in this in general, get, general gets a bit whitewashed. Um, like, one thing that had me scratching my head was, like, when Pelion wants to search Deesra's desk and the other guards, like, we don't have a search order, that's illegal. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, last time I checked, the Empire had a security bureau which could just take you out back and shoot you if they wanted. Well, this was a moth that they were searching. But still, I never felt like there was anybody in the Empire up... I, I guess... I guess when the Emperor's gone, it's a bit different, but... Yeah. I, I, I just never felt like any sort of procedural justice existed yeah. or any sort of well, real Pelion justice saying, in any sense. Like, oh, this isn't the alien-hating Empire of Palpatine's day. But, like, they, they open it, and Pelion... Like, in Spectre of the Past, Pelion is also saying, like, yeah, it kind of sucks that we'll have to deal with these alien lovers. And uh, they even note how, like, it's unlikely to run into aliens on the imperial capital that kind mm-hmm. of thing so it's definitely there in a lot more areas yeah. it's like the difference between times. there's there may not be as many overt rules now but it's still yeah. the empire it's like yeah we, we're not saying no aliens but you're gonna meet people who say no aliens <laughs> yeah <laughs> they've solved racism by not having the law anymore yeah um yeah i i, I just thought that was funny Another thing that I thought was funny was in, uh, when uh, Tears is going down fighting, he just randomly punches a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I actually stopped and laughed out loud when I when I read that section because I had moved away. I was like trying to, I didn't have quite enough time to finish the audiobook, so I was reading it. And he just stops and just punches a woman. I think in like her stomach. Just imagine him like turning, shooting, shooting a bunch of stormtroopers, then just like, boom, just like right in the right in the. And she ends up being the uh, the Mistral Shadow uh, person, but yeah, yeah. wasn't going to do much. But it's... <laughs> I did, I did like with like, that where everyone's fuck this like, woman in particular. <laughs> everyone's pointing out all the issues with these planets. Like, so <laughs> I can do it. Yeah, he's like, I know I'm not epic, but I can still do it. Pelion <laughs> so, Pelion yeah. had some low blows in there. Like he had, yeah. Yeah, we 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 never really get the full um the full kind of analysis of the the ethics of being a dick to clones. Yeah. Like because Lando doesn't like Han gets it a bit. Han's like, "Yeah, you guys are risking your lives for us and like I fucked you over pretty much and 
Lando's being a dick to you. It's like, uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah the, like the reveal that like Lando, should have been a clone. Yeah, they had every choice not to. Mm-hmm. Like Han, as the most understanding towards the Devis, is mm-hmm. still a complete asshole to them until Elagos is like, now Han, do you think you were being very epic right there? No, no. Elagos. <laughs> I'll go say, shall we? God, as much as I love, uh, as much as I love Elagos, I, it would be a real pain in the ass to have him around. <laughs> yeah. No one wants to be spoken to like they're a two-year-old. Especially when he's right. Like, yeah. That's like when uh, Charlie said that thing on the end of that Squadrons game that we won't repeat. And then um, in Wasted, it was just like, Charlie. Charlie. That was <laughs> that was the Elico Zocla right there. If you don't, if you like don't know, you don't know. Yeah. If you don't know, that you're in better shape than we are. Yeah. This, I have wanted to like kind of go through a lot of the books and just record any time a price is given for something. Mm. Just because I want to see how wildly it all varies. A lot. Because like card, lot. Uh, card brokers the price of 18 million credits for uh, buying the weaponry off of the errant venture when it becomes the errant venture. Mm-hmm. But there's, uh, there's some times where it'll seem like a million credits is a lot. And there's some mm-hmm. times where it'll seem like one credit is a lot sometimes where a million is nothing and then there's like the landing fee of 1500 credits here which is kind of extortion but still uh i just want to see how it all scales yeah no i, I agree um I, I mean the only thing they i think the only time credits are mentioned in the movies are i mean we get the phantom s i don't know if specific numbers are given but in a new hope yeah um where Credits aren't one-to-one, but they're pretty close. In which case, a Star Destroyer would be worth, what, like, trillions of credits? Like, Probably. many trillions of credits? Um, but, yeah. Doesn't matter unless you're a nerd trying to play a tabletop RPG anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what throws everything off, because there's the pricing systems from RPGs. It's like, no, those only exist to be in the RPG, but then it gets recorded on Wikipedia, and then someone will comment on a video and be like, well, actually, a Star Destroyer costs three credits on a Thursday. And yeah. Or, hey, did you know Venators carried 600 Starfighters? No, I, I didn't know that because I've watched The Clone Wars and I've read every book with a Venator in it and they're never described as having more than a dozen <laughs> or a few well, dozen at least. There's also a difference between, like, max capacity, capacity and what ordinary you're usually going to be carrying. Because yeah. technically, the, the hangers on an ISD would be bigger just volume like we know how big these things are you can compare them volumetrically they'd be bigger than mm-hmm. a venator mm-hmm. but the venator at the cl- in the empire an isd was deployed to a system as kind of watching over everything you'd have like a base inside you have the garrisons you'd have years of supplies sometimes you're not fully stocked for a war i think that's usually the best way to kind of look at that in the clone wars there's usually you see a more fighters and venators but that's an active war that ships are being deployed to go and just spew fighters at each other in mm-hmm. rather than peace essentially peacekeeping missions within friendly territory where you might see three people in the equivalent of a fucking toyota camry with the machine <laughs> gun strapped to the top yeah they and they, once that speak of Toyota camera with machine gun traps talk. They talk about all these endurances and nebulas showing up, and then it's like three star destroyers are going to take out all the hundred ships in orbit there. Yeah, annoyed me a little bit. Yeah, I just I like, just justified it as the the bigger ships were, you know, they busy. were had been slagging each other and couldn't move as fast. But yeah, yeah. there was what three hundred to four hundred ships that they had built up on lot. the New Republic side, and then there was just the three ISDs, no support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a lot. Yeah, there were a lot. Um, I'm just looking at my notes here because we are unfortunately running a little low on time today already, which sucks. Although I guess we could always d- d- answer some questions next time if we do run low. Yeah. Um, I've I kind of I went and went through the emails beforehand, unless we've gotten some more during the show just to compile some stuff. I'm going to go back to making a notepad with them. I don't know why okay. I stopped that uh, for future episodes. Just go, uh, it's a bit faster for us to get to the actual mm-hmm. question in the email rather than us stumbling through. <laughs> it was kind of cool how uh, how the book 
really seem to take like all the Cathal Rift stuff, which I think is from the old West End Games RPG. Yeah. Even the I'm pretty sure even the big crime lord was from uh, what's his name again? The one that he goes Recast? to at the beginning. Or um, oh, uh, Bombasa. Bombasa, yeah. Like I'm I'm pretty sure he was even a character in the Dark Strider campaign, maybe. So I thought that was pretty cool. Same with the Angti. They're they are first from the Angsty. One of the RPG guides, I think Dark Strider, but yeah. yeah. But that was kind of neat. There are a lot of little references like that thrown in that you won't really appreciate unless you've read a lot. Yeah. There, like, a lot of the early books did basically just have the RPG stuff to work off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like the there was the thing about the X-wing books where they actually originally got licensed as adaptations of the game i think mm-hmm. okay i didn't know that yeah i'll send you the interview i think i have your here it is i actually have it pinned as my first bookmark right next to the kfc in slough uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll see if i can pull that up while we're uh, Bantam hit on the idea of taking a license out on the X-Wing computer game when Bantam looked through their stable of authors for someone who could write military science fiction. So yeah, it was originally the X-Wing books were licensed as licensed versions of adaptations of the X-Wing games rather than licensed on Star Wars itself necessarily. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's weird. So I, I kind of wonder whether they would have been considered canon. I mean, at all, or if they just would have been... I mean, probably, but yeah, I'll, I've been meaning to make a a video on this interview at some point because mm-hmm. that, that's why it's pinned as my most important <laughs> bookmark. Mm-hmm. But what did you think of the idea of? So one of the things we get in this duology is a lot of force talk, and specifically in this book, Luke kind of overusing the force and. One of the quotes is that Luke, or that Mara says to Luke, is like, more, the more you use your raw power, the less you can hear from the Force for guidance. What do you think about that? I think that's an interesting way of kind of pointing out the difference between the light and dark side. And it's one that kind of ties in pretty well with, I think, the way that Matthew Stover uses it in the Revenge of the Sith novelization, where mm-hmm. you kind of see how obi-wan gets to be as powerful and useful as he is for the light side despite not being like on the anakin level of just raw power because he's never acting out of his own desires he's kind of the jedi ideal of giving yourself over to the force and then whatever's supposed to happen happens through you and Mm -hmm. i think uh the way mara explains it here fits with that well and i think uh on the dark side you're just trying to bend it to your will and maybe you'll get better personal results in the short term out of that versus the light side being kind of just mm-hmm. acting as an instrument of the force and letting it direct you i think they take it a bit far sometimes where yeah. luke's like yoda could have just walked into coruscant and killed palpatine if he yeah. wanted to it's like that's i don't think so <laughs> no and we we see at the end of episode three how that's not going to work out and there's mm-hmm. a lot of places where uh where they try to address that like this idea is also reflecting i think the Callista trilogy somewhere where it's like actually yeah like yoda could have just fucking blown everyone up and it would have been it would have been epic Mm -hmm. but him and ben decided not to because it would have meant that they became dark overlords it's like no he just he just lost the lightsaber battle dude yeah i I never liked that idea that that obi-wan and i I guess this is probably because they didn't know what prequel jedi were going to be like but i don't necessarily like the idea that obi-wan was hiding because for any other reason other than he thought that was what was best for Luke and the Jedi as a whole. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if, if I like the idea of Obi-Wan's just hiding so he doesn't go to the dark side and yeah. you know, slay everybody. Like, yeah. yeah, I like it as a premise. I don't like the general mm-hmm. premise of what the light versus dark means there. I definitely don't like the the way it gets applied in some of the books that are just trying to find an explanation for why Yoda and Obi-Wan don't just fuck everyone up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to give our ratings and then maybe do some of the questions? Yeah. Unless I'm there's not another sure. topic for... I was, uh, just take a look at my... I've got... I'll read some of my notes. I've got Cathal, Clone Wars, Shada, Suicidal. I really like the character of Shada, by the way. I, I wish mm-hmm. she was used more. Same with um, Miranda. Or what's her name again? 
The one on Bothawai? Yeah. Fuck, I, I don't know it's the Miranda, order. Isn't, the, it, isn't it Miranda, Miranda Savage? I think it's Miranda. Something, okay. yeah. Because that's what they that's what they call that he calls her Miranda Savage. I'm like that's a very human name, <laughs> Earth human. Uh, I liked her and Shada. I, I know yeah. Shada gets a bit of play later on, but I don't think Miranda does. But so I got that. I've got Mara slapping down EU authors. Search order Kinman Doriana. Oh, sleeper groups. I would have liked to see the sleeper groups play more of a role during the Yuzhan Vong War, considering it's yeah. kind of hinted that that's part of the reason why they're there. Yeah, it, it's too bad that those didn't get a mention at all. Mm -hmm. uh, you get kind of the the hint in the Yuzon Vong War at some Thrawn stuff of like that there might be a Thrawn clone out there somewhere mm -hmm. but a lot of these points that would have been pretty interesting uh, especially when you get to the Force Heretic mm -hmm. trilogy where uh, Han and Leia are kind of going throughout this disconnected galaxy where the Vong have basically won trying to unite these disparate elements because, like, they go to Bakura, they go to talk to the Yavitha, but there's not really much of a mention of these kind of, like, grassroots elements of... Res there are there are some, but not the same kind of... Even the Empire of the Hand gets things. underplayed. Yeah. Really. They yeah, get the was, fighter squadron. Yeah, it's kind of a shame because they're... they're I mean, I, I think even sometimes they just get called the Chiss, too. Or, yeah. like, they're uh, conflated with the Chiss when they're not the same thing. Um, and they actually gives a very good overview of the difference in this novel, where it's like the Chiss yeah. pretend we don't exist, but they also send us a thousand new soldiers to yeah. train every day. And um, like it does get kind of fixed later, where it's like, oh, the the Empire of the Hand can reveal itself at any time when it needs to. Mm -hmm. uh, but and that uh, it's like the galaxy got pretty fucked. Like they burned yeah. Coruscant. Like <laughs> what were y'all doing? <laughs> yeah, and especially with like the Chiss. Like even if the Chiss elements of the Empire of the Hand join the Chiss again. And even if the Chiss are willing to let, like, Soontirfell and the other Imperial elements join, they're mm -hmm. not about to take responsibility for, what is it, like, 300 other sectors of aliens that they want nothing to do with. Mm -hmm. That's not how the Chiss operate. So that that confederation still has to exist in some form without them. Totally. Um, yep, totally. Yeah, that was, I think, all of my points. Let me just double check. Uh, randomly Punches Woman was my last note, so I think I'm good. <laughs> yep uh yeah i think covered all my stuff as well so do you have a an arbitrary and reductive letter grade that you would like <sighs> to give this book i may give it an s just because i really like the whole duology okay. as a whole and i think this one did a good job of of uh wrapping it up there were things i didn't like but i think I'm gonna, i think it's s tier uh, uh s tier for me See, I, I actually liked Spectre of the Past more than it, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think I'm going to leave both of them on A right now, but one of them might get moved up to S when we do our next run through. Fair enough. So this is an A. Fair enough. Uh, do you want to try to get through some emails? Yeah. Or do you want to have... deal with them all with uh, with Union? Because it it's going to be shorter. It's just a comic, and it's kind yeah. of an extension of this. Maybe that's not a bad idea. So we'll take any questions you guys have when we do Union, and they are related. They are short. So, yeah. Yeah. So feel free to. Yep, go ahead. I was going to say, feel free to. If you haven't sent us your email about this book, you can do so now. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I guess a quick reminder for the next few episodes then. Next week, we are going to be talking about Union. The week after that, we're going to be continuing the, the Zan with uh, Survivor's Quest. Week after that, we will be doing a peer Q&A episode. Uh, so keep on submitting stuff for that or like ideally wait until the week before so we have it all a bit more organized because we're lazy. But that should be, I think, March 10th, which will mean on March 17th, we will be doing Vector Prime with our good friend Ilkin from kings and generals to start off the NJ. if we asked on him 100. yeah i was i've been talking to okay him. okay sick so i i do need to make sure i confirm the date with him when we're a bit closer because we're still four episodes mm -hmm. out we, we but, could miss a day or something yeah but we're definitely going to plan around like if we have to change the date to make it work better for him then i'd rather do that than not have him on it because this is yeah like agreed a year of planning to have him on that episode so either way he'll be on the episode the date might change Mm -hmm. yeah 
All right. So that's going to do it for tonight. Hope you have all enjoyed the podcast. Remember to uh, leave a rating on whichever platforms or a review even on whichever platforms you uh, you listen to podcasts on. In 20 minutes from now, Eck and I will be joined by Charlie to play some Project Zomboid and have some drinks for the first... Well, the Project Zomboid for the first time, not drinking for the first time. Uh, we'll be on twitch.tv slash x2, uh, youtube.com slash x2, and youtube.com slash Corey Loses. Mm-hmm. So all those things are fun. Yeah. Yeah. So That's goodbye, everybody. Thanks for watching and listening. Make sure you... Oh, we'll do a, we'll, we'll do a review of the five stars next time, too, because we'll have less to talk about. Yes. That, <laughs> that or on episode 99, we can look through some of our, our favorite reviews of calling us fence-sitters. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll go back to the first days of the podcast where we called Luke and Incel the first time and... That was one of my still one of my favorite still one of my favorite reviews. All right. Well. Bye everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. Okay.